Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 44 of the Snyder Cut. I am your tan, well-rested host, Jeff Snyder, at the Inn Snyder, for those who know me on Twitter. And we have a lot to cover this week, so let's dive right in. Captain Marvel 2 brings in Naya DaCosta to direct. She is the director of Candyman. And I, I feel like I should have seen this coming, you know, like... Why didn't I look into this? Because there's no movie that has been more highly anticipated in the Snyder family household than Candyman. It's because my dad was in the candy business and everybody used to call him Candyman. And so every week, dad's asking me, hey, when's Candyman come out? When's Candyman come out? I I thought you said September. I thought you said August. It keeps moving around, you know? Um, But the fact that he was excited... I don't know. It, 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 he, he doesn't get excited like that for movies. Uh, and I think that outside of Tenet, Candyman is sort of like the, that. That is the big movie that everybody's dying to see this fall. I mean, I think that the ad campaign that Universal has run has been brilliant. Uh, the, the animated sort of uh, prologue that, that Naya DaCosta released on, on her Twitter was excellent. Um, and so I, I dig it. I dig the hire. I liked Whittle, uh, I liked Whittle Woods. I liked Little Woods, her debut. I didn't love it. I, did, I wasn't blown away by it or anything. But it, it was a, a, a solid debut. And you got to give credit where it's due. Um, do, do I wish that this announcement had come after Candyman had opened? Yes. But at the same time, Candyman was supposed to open in June, I believe. So, you know, I, who knows if this has been planned for a while. It sounded like they, you know, Kevin Feige had just recently started meeting with contenders and whatnot. Um, but this was a huge scoop that, that my buddy Justin Kroll dropped. Don't poke the bear, guys. Don't poke the bear, bro. Um, do I like this for her? I do. I mean, she is going to become the first black woman to direct a Marvel movie, which is, you know, a pretty big deal. And she's also probably going to be the the first, or not the first, but the, the African-American female filmmaker who has been given the biggest budget. You know, like I think Ava DuVernay, got uh, 100 million, 110 million for a wrinkle in time. Captain Marvel 2 is going to cost way more than that. So, so there, there will never have been a, a, a black female filmmaker who has received a budget this high to work with. Um, the question is whether this was a job that anybody really wanted. Because the first movie made a billion dollars. It was directed by Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden, and they were even more... Or, you know, yeah, basically, they were even more indie than Naya DaCosta. They hadn't even done a movie like Candyman as that sort of intermediary step. Um, I thought Captain Marvel was bad. It was not good. It was pretty bland. I didn't really care for Brie Larson, who is a, a, a good actress, a good, a very good dramatic actress. I don't know that she is, like, a popcorn movie lead. Um she just seems a little too serious for that. And I don't, I don't mean to turn this into a Brie Larson bashing thing, but I just thought she was like walking through this movie. I just wasn't into it. Wasn't feeling it at all. Um, so the idea is, and I saw some people, you know, making these comments online, but Captain Marvel made a billion dollars because, you know, he was like the first 
Marvel-led, you know, female superhero movie, you know, Wonder Woman's DC. Um, and as a result, and, and because of the very mixed reception, that the sequel is almost guaranteed to not gross a billion dollars. And so Nia is going to take this job and the movie's not going to gross a billion dollars because the first one wasn't great and she's going to get blamed for it. I don't know if I follow... I mean, I, I understand that logic. I don't know if it necessarily makes sense to me. I mean, I don't think I don't think you can make a worse sequel than the first Captain Marvel. So maybe the box office won't be as high, and people will be like, "Oh," but I don't see how that reflects on Ayana Costa if she makes a better movie. And it, like I said, I think there's really nowhere to go but up. Um, it's all going to come down to the script. Uh, you know, like that is why Captain Marvel really didn't work for me because the script was kind of a mess. Like when everybody comes out of your movie talking about a friggin' cat, you've got a problem. Um, now, you know, there's always the, the Marvel question of, which Ava DuVernay has, has sort of uh, addressed that, uh, you know, how much authorship do these directors really have on these Marvel movies? They're all storyboarded to death you know, they kind of just need someone to come in and, and shoot it. And it, and it kind of doesn't matter, you know, who it is. Um, there've obviously been a lot of directorial changes over at Marvel, people falling out, people coming in. Uh, it, are those movies that much different? Who's to say? Um, I, I think that kind of, again, it's, it's not really fair. I, I'm sure that there are Marvel movies like that, but I think that it's very clear that a lot of them have a real clear sense of, of authorship, whether it's Ryan Coogler and Black Panther or James Gunn, uh, on Guardians or Taika Waititi um, on Thor Ragnarok. So, you know, I, I think we got to give Nia DaCosta the benefit of the doubt here that, that she's going to, you know, bring herself to it, infuse herself, uh, you know, into into the sequel. And, um, uh, you know, I've also seen all kinds of crazy theories that, that it won't necessarily be Brie Larson and, and Carol Danvers, and it's going to be Monica Rambeau coming in. And I just, again, I, I don't have any insight as to... Um, you know, what is actually going to happen in Captain Marvel 2. I know it'll, is it going to be set in the 90s, right? I don't even know. Uh, I know that I'm excited for Candyman. And I know that this is a good thing for the industry to have a, a black female filmmaker come in to, and take the reins of a gigantic movie like this. So uh, congrats to her. Congrats to, to Kroll on, on a huge scoop. Um, you know, I, I just hope that they get some cool casting. You know, I, I think if they really wanted, I think it was Keanu Reeves for that Jude Law role in the first film. I wonder if they go back to him for the sequel, although, you know, his schedule also looks pretty, pretty busy. I don't know when they're planning to actually get this movie up and running. Um, so, yeah, that's Captain Marvel 2. Disney wasn't done, though. Disney wasn't done this week. They did Mulan. They finally announced a release date. It's going to come out over Labor Day weekend, but it's not going to be in theaters. Oh, no. It is going to be available on VOD, on the TV, right behind me, on Disney+, Plus, which we pay seven bucks a month for. Good deal, right? Mm, hold the phone. 30 bucks it's going to cost you. That's on top of the Disney. So you need seven bucks just to access the platform where you can watch it. And now you got to pay 30 bucks on top of that. Now, it depends who's watching, you know, whether that's a good deal or a bad deal. If it's just you, if you're a single person, you know, watching Mulan at home, you, you got to be a real big Mulan fan to, sh- to, to shell out 30 bucks for this. And I got to be honest, I'm probably not going to do it. I'm probably not going to spend $30 of my own money to watch Mulan. You know, if Collider needs me to write about it, then I, I'd expect to be reimbursed. Uh, maybe Disney will, will give me some kind of screener, although I, I don't really know 
there haven't been too many Disney Plus screeners, and I don't know if I'm on the list for that stuff. I didn't get one for Hamilton. But uh, so it's like, you know, obviously, if I, if I got a screener, I'm going to give the movie two hours of my time. Or if Collider wants me to write about it, I'm, I'm totally happy to. But if it was just me watching for my own entertainment, I don't know that I'm going to shell out 30 bucks for that. I, I could find a lot of other things to apply that 30 bucks to, whether it's, you know, a book or a couple puzzles that are going to take up a couple hours or God knows what else. Um, but that's me. You know, I, 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 I think Milan looks okay. If you're watching with a gigantic family or, or, you know, multiple children, then 30 bucks is looking like a pretty attractive deal, right? I mean, I, I'm used to paying 15, 16, 17, even 18 bucks a ticket. So if there's two of us, then a $30 rental is the cost or, or less than the cost of two tickets in LA. But, you know, it's, it's different for a family in Iowa. Who knows? Um, Variety, right before I was taping this podcast, Variety came out with a, an article about whether Disney can actually make money. And this was one of our mailbag questions uh, as well. Like, what's going to win Labor Day weekend? And I'll take that question towards the end of the episode. But... Um, so, so, yeah, Variety sort of compared it to Trolls World Tour. And, and, and you know, that's Variety for you. Like, they need a tangible thing to compare it to with numbers and that kind of stuff. Let me tell you something, guys. You cannot compare Mulan to Trolls World Tour. Don't be stupid, okay? Mulan is not an animated movie. It's a, it's a historical epic set in China. Like, how is this... How do you compare this to Trolls World Tour? You don't. Um, now, Disney came out and said that they have 60 million subscribers on Disney+. Plus. How many, how many of these people are going to pay $30 on top of Mulan? Let's just say it's one in four. Okay? Just a, a 25% of the people. Let's, let's even say 20%. Let's do one in five because it's just easy. So... That's 12 million subscribers. So 12 million people, right? 12 million, 12 million accounts times 30 bucks. Let me do the math again. 12 million. Boom. Times 30 bucks is $360 million. And that was one in five. So imagine if it's one in four, one in three, one in two. I think Disney can really make a fuck ton of money on this. I mean, they were hoping for 750 million worldwide on, on this movie. At least that's what, according to variety, because they were hoping they, they had hoped to open to between 70 and 85 million um, at the domestic box office. So 360 million is obviously half as much as the 750 global that they were going to make worldwide. But I, I think that Variety was just talking about that's box office growth. So of that 750 worldwide, Disney would only get 375 million of it. The other half that they they they'd have to split with theaters. Disney sometimes gets better than a 50-50 split. But that's sort of the traditional, you know, just for, to to help people like me do math. So 750 global, 375 million take home. With the one in five numbers that I just did, that's 360. They're coming pretty close, and they get to keep all of that 360. And again, this isn't about the $30 rental. It's really not. Do you know what Disney really wants from you guys? They want the data. They want your data. So they have 60 million people's data right now. 
they, are, they put Mulan on the service to try to entice more subscribers to sign up. Okay, it's all about getting those, those numbers because they really want to be up over 100 million. Netflix is already at 193. They're, they're coming up close on 200 million. Um, so yeah, for Disney, it's all about that data, which they can then harvest a, a zillion different ways, you know, sell it off to whoever. I mean, I, I, who knows what the hell is happening with your data out there. Uh, but, but to me, that is sort of what this is really all about. Um, again, it, it, so I did, that was one in five. If you do one in four, right? Uh, so that would be 15. So let's add another 3 million times 30, 3 million times 30. That's another 90 million. So now you're at 90 plus 360, that's 450 million. So you're already doing better than, than you thought you would. That's if only a quarter of the 60 million subscribers watch Mulan. So again, I, I think that this, is, this could be a, this is obviously a big deal for the industry. Disney made it clear that this is a one-off. Uh, this is not going to be their, their, their new business model or anything like that, because at a certain point, you know, the number of subscribers that you can actually get is, is, is cut off. Uh, and I don't even know if Disney Plus is, is fully global yet or, or what the deal is. I don't, I don't think it has the same reach that Netflix does. So, again, this is going to be a fascinating experiment to watch, particularly when compared to the numbers for Tenet on the same weekend. Okay? So, you know, are people going to not even go see Tenet in theaters? Because, well, I could just pay 30 bucks and stay at home and, and don't have to risk my life and can just watch Mulan. Like, is Mulan going to eat into Tenet's business? And then there's another movie coming out uh, the same weekend. Again, we'll save that for the mailbag. So I, I can look at the whole equation there, but it was interesting. Uh, what else we got this week? Bradley Cooper in talks to star in Paul Thomas Anderson's next movie. This is a movie that's set in the 70s in the San Fernando Valley, which is where the first half of Boogie Nights took place. Remember, it turns to 1980 about halfway through. So... Boogie Nights is like a half 70s, you think of it as a 70s movie, but it really is a half 80s movie as well. That's when things get dark. Um, anyways, it's about like a child actor who's still attending school. Uh, and from what I understand, there was a big like old school producer or director character. I'm sure that there's a principal of the school and a teach, you know, a teacher that the kid's close with and, and he's got his dad. So I don't know for sure what, you know, what role you know, Bradley Cooper is actually up for, but to me, I, I think it is this probably old school producer type director filmmaker. Uh, and I'd heard that Paul Tom Sanderson, like he, he wanted to get like a real old timer, like, you know, like what he did with Burt Reynolds. He wanted Michael Douglas or Harrison Ford, you know, like th those are two legends that, that Harrison or that uh, Paul Tom Sanderson really wanted to work with. Um, I don't know if either of them sparked a script or what the deal was. Uh, I think he made a run at Clooney at one point, potentially. But here we are with Bradley Cooper, and that's awesome. Like, I, I love – I'm a big Bradley Cooper fan. I thought he was incredible in A Star is Born. I thought he should have won the Oscar. I thought he should have won multiple Oscars for A Star is Born. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited about this. Um, you know, this movie's obviously planning to shoot in the Valley, so it can't really get started until – you know, certain things uh, fall into place on the, you know, the resumption of production in, in, in California. You know, you, we're seeing production get, get resume in, in Australia, New Zealand, Norway, places like that, but not really in, in L.A. County or, or you know, any, anywhere close. Um, 
and again, it's all going to come down to the kid. Any movie that's, that's centered around a kid, it, the, the casting pretty much comes down to how good this kid is. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if I'd call this a lead role or a strong supporting role, but either way, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Amy Adams signed on to do this, uh, a couple of things this week, actually. She's been busy. She did, she signed on for this Annapurna project, Night Bitch, which is, sounds a lot like Mariana Polka's movie, Bitch. Uh, and it's basically this woman who, who's like son, she just had a baby. I don't know if, if the baby then grows up and, or if there's another kid or what the deal is, but someone is worried about Amy Adams turning into a dog. That's right. She, it's like, I, I, you know what? I read the, uh, the description here from the author. Let's see if I can bring this up. One second. There we go. I got it. I got it. I got it. It's loaded. Um, Night Bitch. First of all, why, why do they announce these kinds of titles? It's like, are you really going to... I mean, you, you could do that with Bitch, a, a tiny little indie that you're, that's going to go on VOD. Maybe that's the plan with this these days. But if you're going to be released in theaters and advertised in newspapers and television, you probably can't have a movie called Night Bitch. Uh, okay, Rachel J. Yoder is the author. She describes it, a darkly comic novel about motherhood, rage, and the female self. In Night Butch, an unnamed woman and former artist thrust into stay-at-home domesticity after the birth of her son becomes worried she's turning into a dog. Her husband easily dismisses her fears, uh, and meanwhile, this mother uh, is forced to contend with the very real physical manifestations of her solitary anxiety with only her two-year-old son for company. She struggles to keep her altered canine identity a secret. There's a, a disastrous encounter with the family cat, and she seeks a cure for her condition in an herbal multi-level marketing scheme. I mean, this is a weird movie, clearly. But if anybody can pull it off, it's got to be Amy Adams, right? Six-time Oscar nominee. She is fantastic. She's also going to star in, uh, in Adam McKay limited series about this massive uh, class action lawsuit against Walmart. Uh, it's about the, these three powerful women who, who took them on. One is, I think, an executive there. Uh, I, I forget it all. I don't have the log line in front of me, but it's about these three badass women who, who launched literally the, the biggest class action lawsuit in the history of the United States against uh, the, the world's biggest company, Walmart. Um, now, Amy Adams and Adam McKay, I didn't even realize, forgot that she had start, she'd first worked with him on Talladega Nights, then they just worked together on Vice, uh, and now they're doing this Netflix show. So it's kind of cool. I, I like seeing Amy Adams do these, um, you know, these TV series. I thought, uh, you know, Sharp Objects was, was certainly interesting. Um, what else? There's so much, so much this week. Courtney Cox is back for Scream 5. I am, you know, I, I, I just keep getting excited for Scream 5, and I don't know why... Because, you know, I, I was just as excited for Scream 4, and it, it kind of left me like, eh, none of the Scream movies are terrible. I just think 3 and 4 were just okay, you know? Um, but you got to have Gail Weathers. If you're doing Scream, you got to have Courtney Cox. Like, you know, she, that back and forth with her and, and David Arquette's Dewey, obviously they were married, they met on that movie. Uh, her slight antagonizing of, uh, of Sidney Prescott and F. Campbell. She's just an integral part of the franchise, so I dig it. Did we know, by the way, I gotta look into this. Hold on. Did you know that Matthew Robbins was like a, worked on Scream? 
I, I, so I've been going through these old magazines upstairs, guys. And some of them are fascinating. You know, it's like the 10, top 10 indie filmmakers to watch in 2002. Maybe half of them you've never heard of before and half of them have gone on to stuff. Um, these are old like movie lines and premieres and things like that. And so I, I randomly like flipped open some film comment magazine or, or script magazine. I don't know what it was, maybe film festival today. And they had an interview with this guy, Matthew Robbins, uh, or they mentioned him as a co-writer of Scream. And like Scream's one of my favorite movies. That's the whole reason I became a writer. Uh, Cause I watched it in the theater and was just blown away and went back the following weekend with a, with a tape recorder just to record the dialogue. And it said that Matthew Robbins was a co-writer of Scream. I don't, I was like, really? So I had to do a little research on that. Cause that could be an interesting article. Um, but since we're talking about Scream, I thought I, I'd mention it. I mean, even just Googled Matthew Robbins Scream and nothing really came up. So I definitely want to deep dive uh, on that one. Maybe even try and get in touch with this guy. Um, Courtney Cox. She was always my favorite friend, too, believe it or not. I was always a Courtney Cox guy. Um, shit. Hunters got renewed for season two. We'll do a little TV news. Hunters got uh, picked up. This is all about who are they going to find to replace Spoiler Alert. I, th- I think you all know where I'm going with that one. If you haven't seen Hunters yet, I feel like we should be able to talk about this. But just in case you haven't, uh, th- th- there's a lot of death on that on that show. And so... They're going to have to really rebuild the cast. All I can really say is that Logan Lerman's coming back as Jonah Heidelbaum. Um, I think that they, they will need some real firepower. I think that that helped the show and, and, and its profile. And, of course, there's a, a big character who was introduced in the, at the very end of the, the final episode. And I can't wait to see who they get to play that character. Um, maybe it'll just be a European uh, maybe it'll be somebody a little bit more recognizable. It's not a role that, you know, ton of people necessarily want to play. Um, and maybe they'll keep this character in the shadows. Maybe they won't even, uh, you know, show, show, show this character's face in season two. But I loved, you know, I was mixed on Hunters overall. I, I liked it more as it got, as it embraced a more serious tone later in the season. Um, but I'm looking forward to season two based on that, that final scene, which I thought was very, very promising. Leonardo DiCaprio signed a first-look deal with Apple for film and television. Uh, again, I think um, The Shining Girls falls under that. That was the Elizabeth Moss series that we discussed recently. What else was there on, on the TV front? Netflix ordered a prequel series for The Witcher. I don't watch The Witcher. I'm never going to watch The Witcher. If, if you guys think it's awesome and you're like, Jeff, you're, you're being crazy. you got to watch The Witcher. Send me an email or a DM and, and explain why because... It just doesn't seem like the thing that, that that's up my alley. It seems like a sort of sub, a, a B-list fantasy property. And, and you guys know me in, in, in fantasy. I can barely even go see the, the, the big ones. Um, like Harry Potter, for example. Harry Potter, this is TV news, coming to Peacock in October. But only for a month. And then it's going to be, you know, on, on NBC Universal's linear broadcasts and cable channels. And then it's going to come back to Peacock. Uh, in March. And so it's interesting to me. Like, I guess Warner Brothers struck a deal with NBC Universal where they, they're going to share custody of this boy wizard until 2025. You'd think, you know, like, I know most people don't think, oh, Harry Potter, Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers, HBO Max. Like, that's not how the average consumer's thinking. That's how industry people like me are thinking. And I'm thinking, why the hell would Warner Brothers share this character with Harry Potter? I know, you know, the Harry Potter land and all that stuff. Maybe that was part of the deal. 
Um, but after 2025, this is going to live on HBO Max. And you'd think that it would live permanently there. I don't understand. I, I know executives have talked about why it's important to uh, you know, put things on streaming services and then take them off and not just like let them live there for eternity, but to, you know, cycle it. And there was this whole thing about, about windowing in the, in the vulture article, which Joe Adelian did a great job with. Um, I, I guess it's a good thing to, to share that way. People who, who have Peacock can watch Harry Potter and then people who have HBO Max can, can have Harry Potter. You'd think that, you know, if you're, if you're signed up for one streaming service, you're probably signed up for all of them, but. I guess I'm not signed. I'm signed up for HBO Max and not Peacock. I don't care because I don't like Harry Potter um, at all, like at all. But I should probably should care because if I ever plan on winning another goddamn Schmodown match, it would be a good thing to know. Um, cost me a, a singles belt that Harry Potter that that betting one point in New York. Like, why did I do that? Should have just bet zero. And you know, I was trying to mount a comeback. Didn't realize that a zero bet would have won it for me in the end. Uh, Netflix ordered another series of uh, another season of Money Heist. That's a show I started like the first episode or two years and years ago when it first came out. I was into it, but I never got into it. Kind of, kind of like Dark. Like I watched that first season season of Dark and I dug it. Started watching the next few episodes, uh, the first few episodes of season two, and then just like tailed off. It was just like it's not the time for this. Can't do. It. Um, so I'm curious about Money Heist. Everybody really seems to dig it. It's, it's more popular than I ever thought it would be, um, but. Yeah, you know, is there anybody who's watched the whole season? If they have, tell me if it's like, Jeff, you're, you're, you, you got to check this out. Um, Apple, by the way, ordered an, a straight to series, this uh, Robert Downey Jr. show. He will not star in it, but he could play a supporting role. He, he's sort of, you know, waffling on that. I'm sure that a lot of that will depend on his feature schedule and when the show actually goes. Um, although Apple, like, mentioned it in its press release on background so it's like if, if they're putting it in there generally it's gonna happen he probably already has his eye on a certain character anyways it's based on um this michael lista i don't know i think it's a, an article and it's about this canadian cop who decides to investigate a cold case um it's it sounds kind of interesting i mean I, i'm very curious to see who they will get i hope that they get a, a prominent canadian actor be cool if it was like Jim Carrey now a a Jim Carrey detective show or something like that um you know I don't don't love Robert Downey Jr.'s taste as a producer I definitely think that Team Downey has some questionable uh instincts as as producers as evidenced by things like The Judge but then again I really like Perry Mason so maybe Maybe they figured it out for TV and not so much for film yet. Um, and speaking of TV uh, news, high, high, uh, high Fidelity. <laughs> high Fidelity was canceled at Hulu. This, I never watched it. Um, yeah, bummy for, bummer for Zoe Kravitz fans. But uh, I, I like the High Fidelity movie. I, it just it wasn't something that I felt like I needed to, to really see. A lot of those Hulu shows, like I haven't, got, I haven't done Normal People or The Great... You know, uh, it's just, it's, 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 it's not my taste. It's not my taste. Um, in industry news, ICM signed a deal with, uh, with WGA, which was kind of inevitable after UTA did it. The big question here is all about whether CA and WME will cave and, and when they will. Um, you know, CAA just had to lay off about 400 agents, which is, you know, a, a pretty significant amount of people. And, 
you know, I'm of two minds with agents. I think that there are some really good agents out there who really do a great job of building their clients' careers. And, and, but it's not just about that, you know, like there are agents who will talk to me and foster that relationship and, and help me understand, you know, certain decisions that are made. Um, and then there are other agents who, you know, are sort of the stereotypical Ari Gold asshole agents. And, you know, they, everybody, they think they're just better than everybody and they're making more money than half their clients. Like they're just in another stratosphere um, and, and, and they're untouchable. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not certainly not here like rooting for people to lose their jobs as someone who has lost their job in this town over and over and over again. Um, it sucks. And, and it sucks that it's happening, you know, now, particularly with like, you know, the government cutting back on that extra $600 weekly thing, not that $600 means a, a ton to uh, a CAA agent. Um, but it's just, you know, it's, the whole thing's just unfortunate. Like when you think about, you, you could be, you know, a young guy or, or a young woman who started out in the mailroom and, and worked your asses off, put in all those late hours, uh, those 16, 18 hour days and shit. And, and you have momentum and you're building a career. Maybe you're just building a list, but you know, the people on that list aren't bringing in a ton of money. And so, you, you know, you're expendable and that sucks to just have all that momentum taken away. I mean, that's sort of how I felt like in my relationship, like I was building up a head of steam with, with my girlfriend. I moved in with her at the top of the year. And then this pandemic came along and it, and it kind of ruined it. Um, it doesn't mean that it's over. And it doesn't mean that these CA agents won't come back to the agency one day uh, you know, when it, when the financial situation changes and the industry is just a little bit healthier, but momentum is is a strangely important thing. You hear about it watching sports all the time, and it really can you know affect the outcome of of things in life. Um, here's one and like a mulligan on. Besides saying high fidelity earlier in the podcast, uh, so I think I wrote up the happy happy joy joy trailer last week, and I was like. Man, you know, the success of Ren and Stimpy is so tied to its creator, John Crickfalusi, who's very controversial and, uh, you know, been in their allegations of him fostering these uh, relationships with underage women. Um, I was like, yeah, it's just a little too messy. And, and it's like, it was just such a creation out of his brain that I don't think that any network would, it would revive the show anytime soon. Well, one week later, Comedy Central did just that. Um, it happened. They are bringing Ren and Stimpy back. Uh, is it a good idea? Probably not. You know, I don't, I don't think Kirk Falusi is going to be involved. I think they, they tried to do a reboot of sorts without him years after the original show. Didn't really go well. Um, I mean, listen, if you find the right guy who, 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 or again, or woman, I'm just using guys, you know, whatever. But uh, if you find the right person, who, who grew up watching that original cartoon and, and is just keyed into its, its scatological humor and, and excesses and isn't afraid of pushing the envelope, then, then maybe it'll work. You know, I, I don't really watch a ton of that Comedy Central type stuff. Um, you know, I can't, I can't do like Adult Swim. Like, I, what was like, I used to watch Key and Peele and Inside Amy Schumer. I like the sketch shows, but I don't know that I'd go watch Ren and Stimpy on, on Comedy Central unless people were just raving about it. But yeah, we definitely wish I had that one back because I, as soon as I saw that announcement go, I was like, shit, didn't I just say like a week ago that this would never happen? Whoops. I guess it's just like Parasite winning Best Picture. Um, 
The Office. I mean, we're talking more about TV stuff. The Office is coming to Peacock. We all know that much, but it's going to have a supersized episodes. It sounds like they're going to be using the producers cut of the episodes just as an added enticement. Like everyone, they know. If you're an Office fan, you've seen all these episodes before. You probably watched them when they originally aired on NBC. You probably watched them again on 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 uh, Netflix. So it's like, what can we do to entice you to watch them a third time? Well, we can you know add in all the little things that uh, got taken out, and you know if you don't have the DVD. Maybe it'll be worth it. Channing Tatum and Scooter Braun teaming up to do a Lady Macbeth YA musical. Sure. Scooter Braun obviously has an eye for young musical talent. Channing Tatum, no stranger to to musicals and singing and dancing and doing that kind of thing. You know, maybe he could play a teacher at the school. I don't know if he's expected to take an on-screen role. I love Lady Macbeth. Uh, This isn't obviously Lady Macbeth. This is a, a, a Lady Macbeth type of character in high school. Um, but yeah, she's always just been, you know, one of the most fascinating characters in, in all of literature, particularly in, in Shakespeare's, uh, ouvoir. And so, um, it sounds interesting. I mean, I grew up on all these Shakespeare adaptations, you know, 10 things I hate about you. Uh, Oh, was the other one I mentioned in that article. I loved, Oh, if you haven't seen that with Josh Hartnett, that's like a great, really dark take on a fellow, Julia Stiles. Fuck, that movie's good. Um, so yeah, you know, try it again. Go back to, to what worked in the 90s, man. I miss those teen movies. Now it's all like The Kissing Booth and To All the Boys I've Loved. And I know that those have huge fan bases on Netflix. People love those movies. But, you know, where where is Empire Records and, and Can't Hardly Wait? Like, I, I don't think, I, I'm, I, I'm still down to watch teen movies. You know, I, there's this one coming out at the end of the month on Hulu called The Binge. Had a great premise. You know, I don't know if it really lived up to that premise, but uh, I, I was down to watch it. Whereas something like The Kissing Booth, I feel like skews a little bit too young and too female for me. Uh, more, more TV news. God, Who's the Boss is coming back for a, a sequel that's going to reteam Tony Danza and, uh, and Alyssa Milano. And you know what? Sure, why not? I, I, I like Tony Danza. I, I suppose this was always inevitable as, as well. Um, the thing about bringing back these kinds of shows is it's like, are you trying to, are you like, listen, this, this show is magic then, it's going to be magic now. Kids are going to love it, or not even kids, but, you know, teenagers, whoever is watching family sitcoms. Or are you counting on that original audience from the 80s to then sign up for some, you know, streaming service or, or wherever this thing is going to live? I don't know if this is for Peacock or I don't even, who's the boss was ABC, wasn't it? So I don't, I don't know if it'd be like a, it's not a Disney Plus thing. Would it be for actual network, for broadcast? I, I don't know. I don't have the article in front of me, but um, I, I always liked Who's the Boss. It just feels a little long in the tooth now. But hey, Tony Dan's got to eat. Rupert Wainwright has fallen out as the director of the Miles Teller movie, Not Without Hope. It was always an odd choice in, in, in my mind. Uh, he's the director of like Stigmata and a couple of other minor movies just like this is a this it's not that this could be a blockbuster or anything but it could be an awards contender potentially if done right and i just wonder if miles teller i wonder if miles teller had anything to do with this he was just like yeah get this guy out of here like uh, I, I know 10 other people we can find um, including um ben younger who did bleed for this and I, I thought he did a great job um what else lovers rock steve mcqueen's uh movie slash TV anthology episode has been slated to open the New York Film Festival. 
we even had a discussion of Collider. Like, is this a movie? Is this a part of a TV show? Is this an episode or a film? Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it seems like New York Film Festival is calling it a film. I think it's part of this 10 episode anthology thing, but if there's five, so it's not, you know, 10 hour long episodes, it's five, two hour movies that make up this anthology. I don't, I don't fucking know. All I know is it's Steve McQueen. So respect must be paid. Uh, Tom Pollock died. He used to, I think, run Universal. And uh, I, I know Tom Pollock, you know, from my days, he, he ran Montecito with Ivan Reitman. Um, so I'm pretty sure I've dealt with him a few times over, over the years, particularly when I was at the trades. Uh, Deadline brought back Anita Bush to write a, a really nice tribute to him. I thought Anita did a great job with that. And it, and it really illustrated, though, like, how con- like are executives really fostering these relationships with industries, you know, top reporters these days? Like, yeah, there's Kim Masters and Mike Fleming and, and, and you know, executives and, and everybody have been talking to them since the 80s. But like, I don't know, does, does my buddy Kroll, does he have a relationship with a guy like on a Tom Pollock level? I don't know. Um, you know, that's not something obviously that we talk about. You know, I have, you know, you, you can get these kinds of people on the phone for, you know, a brief three to five minute conversation, whatever it is, maybe a little mini interview on background. But, to, you know, to, to do I think I could write a proper tribute or obituary the way that Anita did about Tom Pollock, about, about some of these executives who I've had these you know, minimal interactions with? No. So, you know, she really got to know him. And, and I just don't. It's the same thing with like sports and sports reporters like you know, the, the, the Boston Globes, the guy covering the Celtics for the Globe would go out and grab a steak with, with Heinz and Havlicek and Bill Russell after a game and get to know these guys so you could really get in their heads and, and write about them well. Uh, and, you know, you just don't see that these days. Everybody has their guard up more, social media, et cetera, et cetera. So, it, it, you know, just like books on the industry too. There were so many books about Hollywood. And nowadays I don't see nearly as many industry books or behind-the-scenes things coming out because everybody's so protective of their brand and god forbid we tell the true story about what a clusterfuck it was on this movie uh telluride announced the, the lineup that it would that would have been for its you know canceled 2020 festival week lineup guys i, I mean i know all the the studios have taken their movies out of 2020 and netflix isn't doing the the the, the fall festival uh dancing jig this season you know they're just gonna do their own thing but yeah, it's like, would you really have, if you could have gone forward, Telluride, would you really have gone forward with Nomadland and Ammonite and, and the father? Forget, you know, forget the, the Telluride going forward. Of course they would if they could have. If you were a, a, an attendee, would you have spent all that money to attend Telluride to see those three films? Like, you got to be kidding me, right? I love, I love the rider, okay? Loved it. Chloe Zhao did an amazing job. And, and Frances McDormand is one of the greatest actresses working today. You know, when you say, oh, I, I got to get to Toronto or someplace to see the new Chloe Zhao movie, like, is, is that really what we're talking about here? There's no, you know, there's no Spielberg, new Spielberg, nor new uh, Scorsese coming out this fall. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just not the same when we're talking about, uh, you know, the new Zhao or the new Francis Lee or Frederick Zeller or whatever. Yeah, not, not, not the same thing at all. Uh, but all those movies feature former uh, Oscar winners, Francis McDormand, Anthony Hopkins, Kate Winslet. So it's no joke. 
There's a Splinter Cell animated series in the works from Derek Kolstad, who was also who also wrote a Man from Nowhere remake uh, that, that, that there was action on this week. Um, Splinter Cell, again, a video game that I've never played. It was always supposed to be this big movie with Tom Hardy. Didn't end up happening. Um, makes sense that they would just be like, you know what? Let's just take this to Netflix. They'll, they'll buy it. If, it. if it's IP, you know, Netflix wants to be in the IP game. Might as well uh, try it. Let's just hope it turns out better than Assassin's Creed, which was, I didn't even see Assassin's Creed. Everyone said it was terrible, and I don't think that it helped uh, the the game's branding. And that's always the risk that you take. It's why there hasn't been any Mario movie since Super Mario Brothers with Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo, because it's just like, we can't afford another one of those. It would be too harmful to the brand. Amazon picked up One Night in Miami, Regina King's um, directorial debut. That, that's another one that's like a hot, you know, fall title. And, you know, it, it's interesting for sure um, for, you know, young black leaders meeting up in this uh, motel room in Miami after the big um, Muhammad Ali fight. But, you know, do I think it, it, it's really going to be like a best picture contender? No, I just don't know if it does – Regina King, any favors, you know, when you, when you, you know, put all that pressure on it, like, oh, well, there's no other, you know, all the awards contenders fled to next year. So this is, it's all, it's all up to you now. Like, I just don't know if, if that's what that movie is. Well, I guess we'll see. Uh, speaking of Amazon, again, no response whatsoever on my Sound of Metal inquiries. They have yet to take it off the calendar. It is still, still supposed to come out next week. There's no trailer. Talked about it with Adam Chitwood, uh, uh, you know, of Collider Collider fame today. And Chitwood was like, yeah, there's no way that movie's coming out. It's like, all right, well, if that's the case, Amazon, just own up to it. Just tell me when there's a new date or say, hey, we removed it from the calendar entirely. I don't understand these publicists who are getting paid six-figure salaries to ignore emails from reporters. It blows my fucking mind. Just send an email with two words. That's all you have to do. No comment. To ignore me is fucking rude. And believe me, Amazon, when I get the chance to give you a smack, you're going to get one. Ugh. Serrano, Joe Wright. He's going to direct a feature adaptation of the stage play that starred uh, Peter Dinklage and Haley Bennett. Serrano is about a, a guy who uh, has a really big nose and he's self-conscious about it. He's in love with a distant cousin of his, Roxanne. And so Roxanne sort of develops this infatuation with, with this other guy, Christian. And so Serrano starts writing love letters to her as Christian. And eventually, you know, she comes to eventually discover it was Serrano all along. Of course, by then it's too late. Uh, and speaking of Joe Wright, Netflix, again, just super busy. Every other story is about Netflix these days. They picked up Joe Wright's uh, troubled thriller the Woman in the Window with Amy Adams. My God, another Amy Adams project. Uh, this has a, a, a great cast. Gary Oldman, Julianne Moore, Anthony Mackie, Wyatt Russell, uh, Brian Tyree Henry. A lot of, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. A lot of cool people in this movie. And, and it's up my alley. It's like that literary thriller, the, the Gone Girl type uh, genre. I'm sure there's some twists in store. But it seems like they could never get the cut right. Uh, to a place where Disney was happy with it and, and um, Joe Wright was happy with it. There was a lot of editing going on behind the scenes and test screenings and low scores. Um, I think if they, I don't know if they did reshoots to 
I think there were minimal reshoots to kind of make things a little bit more clear, less confusing. Ultimately, it didn't work. And again, with theaters the way that they are, this isn't a movie for Disney+. Plus. And I really just don't think that you can put a movie like this out on Hulu. You can put out Palm Springs. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's an indie with Andy Samberg. This is a, a star, a big star-studded movie. And I, it would just be weird, like, logging on to Hulu to watch that. So um, I think it makes a lot more sense on Netflix, which likely, you know, cut, cut a check that, that gave Disney a little bit of profit. Because I'm sure they were looking at this as, as a guaranteed loser. Um, and this way, you know, they save on, on a big marketing campaign down the line and yeah, it, it all just makes sense. Uh, Emma Stone launched a, a production company with her, uh, hubby Dave McCary. It's called Fruit Tree, I believe. And, uh, yeah, they signed with A24. First look deal. Pretty, uh, pretty savvy move by, by A24 and, and by Emma Stone. I mean, A24 certainly knows what it's doing. Um, she hasn't, you know, she doesn't really have that uh, producer type of background that would see her land a, a, a splashy deal with an Apple or a Netflix. Um, you know, I don't think A24 does a ton of these types of deals. But a smart move to pick up Emma Stone, who, you know, everybody is, is pretty much always charmed by. And her first project, uh, or you know, is going to be Jesse Eisenberg's directorial debut. We already knew that, but we didn't know that, uh, that A24 was going to distribute it. So um, that's cool. I love Jesse Eisenberg. I think he's a really smart guy, one of the smartest actors I've ever interviewed. And so I'm definitely looking forward to his directorial debut. Um, oh, I, ha- I had to address this kindergarten cop. Have, have you guys paid attention to this? That there was a screening canceled by, Por- by Portland Wokesters, according to, to Jeff Wells. <coughs> The, the quote says, it's, tr- it's true Kindergarten Cop is only a movie. So are Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind, but we recognize films like those are not good family fun. Well, let me tell you something. Whoever programmed this, uh, this Northwest Film Center screening, um, Kindergarten Cop is not a family film. Not at all. Have you seen the first half hour of Kindergarten Cop? That's like a fucking R-rated action movie. It's dark. Uh, not for kids whatsoever, just because it's got kindergarten in the title. Come on. So not a family film. I agree with the person on that. Uh, but there was something about, where is it? It was right. Despite what the movie shows in reality, schools don't transform cops. Cops transform schools and in an extremely detrimental way. Like, are you fucking kidding me, guys? Are we serious? We got to make a, a political point and a racial point about kindergarten fucking cop. What is happening to this country? It conveys a damaging message regarding children of color and over-policing? What? Well, I don't know what has happened to America. Like... Holy shit. Um, I don't even know what to say. This I'm just like reading some of these. Uh, it sounds like bad satire. Okay, cancel the screening because it's not a family film, but uh, all because of over-policing and, and these racial connotations. Give me a break. Can we not enjoy anything anymore? Wow. 
Um, so we said goodbye to a couple people this this uh, past week. Uh, Wilford Brimley passed away, and director Alan Parker, who uh, I think I, I really loved. Um, I'm, I'm a big Midnight Express fan, Mississippi Burning. Like, Alan Parker, you couldn't really put him in a box. He was very versatile. I, I think that's maybe why he isn't as well-known as he probably should be as a director, because um, you couldn't really pin him down. Um, yeah, Wilford Brimley... Was, he was like an old soul. He was just always old looking, even in his 40s. He always looked like he was in his 60s. Uh, and I guess the Wilford Brimley movie that I love is The Thing. If you haven't seen the, 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 the original or I guess I won't say that, but, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, Spree is coming out soon with Joe Keery. They use my quote from my Sundance review, a, a, an American psycho for the digital age. People were like, oh, my God, that sounds amazing, an American Psycho for the Digital Age. Pump the brakes there. It was a good quote. It's good copy. I'm glad that they used it. I gave the movie a B-. It's, it was, you know, it was fine. It'll be a fun VOD rental for you at four bucks. Um, you know, it had some some cool surprises, some fun performances, but it's not like, it, trust me, it's it's not amazing. Um, do, 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 going up and down the list here. Oof. Some disappointing, you know, allegations about uh, Brian Callen and, and, and Jeff Ross uh, this week. Um, there's also a music booker on Colbert who lost his job. And it's just, guys, it really is eye-opening how much sexual harassment is going on. And, 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 and just rape. Like, everybody's just running around raping each other. This is, it's wild. I mean, uh, I, I can see how situations like that might happen. I've always been uh, reticent of alcohol. I'm just not not a drinker, never liked it. And I, I think that alcohol is a big factor in a lot of these situations. I think it, it um, makes guys more aggressive. I, I think, you know, women obviously, you know, uh, drop their guard down. Um, but, uh, yeah, some of these some of these stories, like, it's just, it's, it's like, are you guys fucking for real? Um, now, I'm not talking about the people reporting them. I'm talking about, you know, like Brian Callen, Jeff Ross, you know, Chris D'Elia, like talking to underage girls online or, or uh, you know, I mean, the, the Jeff Ross thing, you know, that, that seemed like it had been well documented and it's only now just sort of starting to pick up steam. And I really do wonder, you know, is Jeff Ross going to stop being the, the Roastmaster General for all of Comedy Central's roasts? Like we already saw um, Brian Callen's not going to be in the next season of the Goldbergs, although they said that was more due to, um, creative decisions than, than these allegations. Um, it's just disturbing just how like widespread it really is. It really is eye opening to me because I knew that there were always, you know, bad eggs around Hollywood, but even this is like a little much, like how hard is it to just respect women and, and keep your hands to yourself? Like it's depressing. It, it, it really is. Um, James Murdoch stepped down from the board at what's left of Fox. Good for him. I mean, he, he just could not get on board with some of the shit that Fox News was up to. And, and yeah, he's just like, you know, what, why am I still here? Is it the money? Is it the power? Like, I can't get behind this message. This is fucked up and it's making the country worse. So good for, good for James Murdoch for finally realizing that. I'm not going to give him a fucking medal or anything, but, you know, whatever. Uh, God, Netflix released images from Ben Wheatley's Rebecca. Looked cool. I mean, um, you know, ben, ben, I'm mixed on Ben Wheatley. Sometimes he really impresses me more often than, than not. He kind of lets me down. Um, 
But, uh, you know, Army Hammer, Lily James, I'm down to check this out. I heard Kristen Scott Thomas was really good in this movie. Netflix also has that um, Sundance horror movie, His House. I've heard rumors of a fall release. Maybe it'll be late September. Maybe it'll be October. I think Netflix is, is always going to do that. Here's four genre movies uh, that we're going to drop each Friday in October. I think it's a good strategy, and I hope His House is one of them because it got really good reviews. Uh, I did an interview this week with the director of The Last Narc, Tiller Russell. I hope you guys will read it. I thought that was – he's had a, a crazy career. Like, he, he's the kind of guy who goes down to a Panamanian prison with 10 grand strapped to his leg just so he can interview a uh, – a drug dealer. He took some real risks um, making this movie. And, and it was the first interview I've done at Collider where people come out of the woodwork and they've read it and they're, and they're like, Oh, can you, can you get me in touch with Tiller? I, I know more about this. I know about this. It's like, I, I wish I could help. It's not exactly ethical, but um, like that, that's a good show. The last narc. It is now streaming on, on Amazon. It was a four part docuseries about the murder of Kiki Camarena, who, who you might recall as uh, Michael Pena's character from Narcos Tiller Russell did a good job with it. And again, he, he's the director of the Silk Road movie coming up. I just read that Silk Road book. It was fantastic. If you're looking for something to read this summer, uh, read American Kingpin to prepare you for that Silk Road movie. Um, some trailers came out this week. Some really impressed me. I mean, the boys, everybody's pumped for the boys. Like, I, I can't fucking wait for that return. Watched the trailer for this documentary, Stunt Women which looked interesting. Uh, it's narrated by Michelle Rodriguez and talks about her longtime stunt double for the Fast and Furious movies. And just, you know, it's not all stuntmen laying their lives on the line as, as Tom Cruise or whoever, uh, although Tom Cruise, I guess, does his own stunts. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of badass women out there in the industry, and, and there have been for a long time. This isn't a new thing, uh, you know, that Atomic Blondes started or something. Like, now, there have been women doing this stuff since the days of the silent era, and so I am uh, eager to check that documentary out. Uh, Ratched dropped a trailer this week. I already watched the entire series. I'm embargoed from, from talking about it, um, but I thought the trailer did a good job of, of selling it. I thought it looked it looks cool. Like, if, you're, if you're familiar with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or a fan of, you know, Ryan Murphy, like this is, he goes full Ryan Murphy here. Um, and Sarah Paulson... You know, she, she, she's always good. Good cast on that show. Uh, John John Briones, it's great to see him having a lead after a, a really good small role as Andrew Cunanan's father in the Versace show. And then yesterday, HBO Max released a trailer for the series Raised by Wolves from Ridley Scott. Um, I, I, it really wasn't on my radar too much. It looked wild. It's about like androids caring for children. Uh, it looks super bloody and gory. I think that they're sending out the screeners for that this weekend. So I'll let you know more when I can. Um, we're going to take a couple of mailbag questions as we wrap things up here. I did want to talk about the, the Ellen controversy. I mean, I, I feel bad for the people who, who, you know, have suffered at, at that workplace. I do. My heart goes out to them and I've been there. I've worked in toxic environments, so to speak. However, I didn't leave that toxic environment intent on burning it to the ground and, and uh, you know, like bad-mouthing my, my former boss. Like, it's great if you love your boss. It's great if you even like your boss. But, you know, most people don't like their bosses. I think that sort of comes with the territory of being a boss. I certainly didn't like being a boss at Tracking Board. I mean, I liked having control of the site, but... You know, I thought it was a great boss, too. If anybody asks, hey, can I leave an hour early or, 
you know, go, go to this lunch, do that. I was like, absolutely. Because I'm a reporter and I appreciated my freedom. So I always thought at Dragon Board, I was the boss I always wanted, but I also know a lot of my employees didn't like me, or, you know, didn't like how dismissive I was of some of their ideas. That's the fucking job, man. That is part of being an, an editor in chief. It is not just saying, yes, yes, yes. You're brilliant. You're brilliant. You're brilliant. It's saying, actually, that's ill thought out. That This is poorly conceived. This is sloppily executed. Sorry. You know, I've got high standards, clearly, since I criticize everybody else. And I thought I did a damn good job at tracking board. And I think that all those people can say, I taught them a lot about how to do their jobs better. But again, you're not going to be loved as the boss. And so all these people coming out saying, oh, what a toxic environment at Ellen. She's horrible. She treats her staff like shit. She's so demeaning. The producers are terrible. Yeah, like, you know, this is Hollywood. I don't understand when everyone, when Hollywood was just expected to be nice. That wasn't the town that I moved to 13 years ago or whatever. It's just 14 years ago at this point. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's it's not a democracy. It's a meritocracy. You know, um, so I'm not dismissing the complaints of Ellen staffers. I'm just saying 10 years ago, there was no such thing as a toxic work environment. This word toxic, everything's, if I don't like something, it's toxic. If I don't feel safe, it's toxic. Toxic, 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 toxic. Fucking be an adult and grow up and take it. Like, I just don't understand. It's a job. It's not fucking recreation time. It's not supposed to be fun. It's supposed to kind of be hard. And if you like your job, that's a bonus. But particularly in the world of entertainment, this is such a a tiny industry. And, and, you know, it's like everybody wants to be a part of it. And and if you can't take it, there's a zillion people out there who can. I mean, why do you, you know, all these people who are producers now, they only got to be where they are because they answered a phone for five years and were willing to get shit on. And it's like, and, and they got to, and they know how it is to be that assistant, but it's like now it's their turn to do the torturing, so to speak. And it's not, it's not torture, you know? So you get yelled at. You know how many times I got yelled at at the rap? And like, for like stupid stuff. We're like, I should be offended. I should be logging a complaint if there was an HR department. These people at Ellen are even lucky there is an HR department. Or, or that they have someone to investigate because most of the jobs I work, this shit doesn't exist, okay? There's no HR department at Collider. I just think, again, I, I'm empathetic. And, and you know, Ro, Roka and I, we talked about this a lot on Roka's podcast, um, which I taped on, on Tuesday night, which I would definitely check out. Like, it was a good two-hour chat. Uh, you know, he, he said that um, maybe someone on Ellen – they were in a staff meeting and somebody spit gum at them, spit gum in their face, you know, and maybe they say, oh, it slipped out. If you're getting spit in the face, that's a different story. That's fucking assault, brother. But some of these stories, oh, they were mean to me. They demeaned me. I, they left a staffer in tears. I've cried at jobs before. Fucking grow up. That's why in the, the, the French dispatch uh, trailer, you've got Bill Murray in his office with the sign that says there's no crying. No crying in this office. You know, it's like some people have different emotional uh, break lines and breaking points. And it's like, there's no sign. There's no, you know, it's not like on the basket, the back of their basketball card where you can say, oh, you can say this, but but this would be going over the line with this person. It's just like everyone has, you, you have to be sensitive to your employees. I get that. But at the same time, some people are a little too sensitive. And we all know what we call those people, the S word. 
Uh, all right, let's do some mailbag shit and this uh, and the show. Wilder Julis, what's going to win opening weekend on Labor Day? Tenant Mulan, or I'm thinking of any things. Totally different metrics for everything, you know. For Tenant, it's about box office. How many people are going to see this movie and return to theaters? Um, and then, what lessons do does Hollywood take away from those opening weekend numbers? Mulan, it's about subscribers. How many subscribers is Disney pulling in? Sure, you know, they care about the money and how many people are actually going to pay their $30 to watch the movie, but really it's about how many new subscribers are they pulling. I'm thinking of ending things is the Charlie Kaufman movie that got a trailer this morning that looked really good. Um, what is, you know, how could that win the weekend? If that turns out to be a brilliant masterpiece that everybody's tweeting about and saying this could win Oscars, then that wins the weekend, you know? Uh, so it's kind of, it's an interesting question because it's not like there would be one clear victor. They could all win the weekend, or they could all lose the weekend. Uh, and then um, Derek Walker wrote in with uh, Mulan will be on Disney Plus. The price point twenty nine ninety nine. The Blu ray with DVD and digital code will be even cheaper than that. Um, yeah, I don't like. It was unclear. Is it a rental price for thirty dollars, or I think Disney clarified and said for thirty dollars. It is a purchase, and it will you'll be able to watch it multiple times, and it will live in your Disney Plus library, and you know for the extent of your subscription. Um, you're right, though. If you, you know, like I'm just gonna wait. I'm gonna wait until that window expires because it's not just gonna be thirty dollars forever on Disney Plus. After three months, six months, it's just gonna be a title on Disney Plus, and so I'm willing to wait for it. I mean, you know, I, I'm gonna have to see it probably before uh, award season to see if you know it's a contender in any categories, but. Again, this movie also received mixed reviews from critics when it did screen in theaters in March. It had a big premiere and everything. So, uh, you know, it may not be the home run that we're all hoping for. Derek also asked, can I recommend any good websites or stores that sell authentic movie props? Prop Store is the one. They just had a big uh, horror movie prop sale. Um, I think that'll do it for me this week. I don't know if there's anything else on the list. I've got a big Schmodown match tomorrow. Yeah, I think I don't, I don't know if you can watch it live or what the deal is. I, I don't think you can. Uh, but I'm taping that tomorrow against Robert Montano. So wish me luck. Uh, you can find me on, tw- well, you can't find me on Twitter. I'm not on it anymore, but I'm still on Facebook and Instagram and Cameo. Make sure to order a Cameo. I give great Cameo, guys. I'm good. Uh, tell a friend about this. If you, you know, a friend who likes movies, tell them about this podcast. Tell them about Collider. Follow, you know, bookmark my byline and make sure to go to the insider.blogspot.com for a ranking of all 2020 titles. I just hit. 100 movies. I just watched uh, the last one. I think number 100 was The Shadow of Violence, which was worth watching. Don't know if it stuck the landing, uh, but it was was definitely cool. Check that out with Cosmo Jarvis and um, and Barry Kogan. Guys, have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe out there and wear some sunscreen. Later. Hey, little chico, pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Want to hear something amazing? 
Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.